You're listening to Comedy Central. Well, hello, everybody. What's going on? I'm Trevor Noah, and this is The Daily Social Distancing Show. Today is February 11th, which means, my friends, Valentine's Day is only three days away. I repeat, three days away. So just remember to leave out a plate of milk and cookies for Cupid, or else he'll make you get a divorce. Anyway, on tonight's show, Democrats make their closing arguments against Donald J. Trump. Jordan Klepper is back in DC for the first time since the riots, and why being nice to your Mima might get you vaccinated. Plus, Daniel Kaluuya joins us on the show to talk about his brand new movie, Judas and the Black Messiah. So let's do this, people. Welcome to The Daily Social Distancing Show. From Trevor's couch in New York City to your couch somewhere in the world, this is The Daily Social Distancing Show with Trevor Noah. Ears edition. Let's talk about the coronavirus, the only thing with more mutations than Rudy Giuliani. There's good news in America as cases and hospitalizations continue to fall. But with dangerous coronavirus variants spreading around the country, the race is now on to get as many people vaccinated as quickly as possible, which is why in Massachusetts, they started doing this. Starting today in Massachusetts, vaccine eligibility begins for friends and family members who accompany a person who is 75 years of age or older to their vaccine appointment. Only one companion per person is allowed to sign up for this vaccine appointment at a mass vaccination site, regardless of their age or health. Hell yeah, Massachusetts! Oh, this is just like the club, but the exact opposite. The shots are free, and if you have your grandma with you, you get in right away. But yes, anyone can get a vaccine in Massachusetts as long as they roll up with someone 75 or over. Now, you know what this means, right? It means everyone is gonna wanna make friends with old people in Massachusetts now. In fact, they should just make this the next season of The Bachelorette. Who will get Gladys's syringe? Stay tuned to find out. And this could also make for some awkward situations because this is when the grandkids find out which one is the favorite or that grandma has been having an affair with the pool boy all along. I love you all equally, but Javier has abs of steel. And look, I know there's gonna be a run on octogenarians now, but if you ask me, we shouldn't need any more incentives to hang out with old people. Guys, old people are the best. They're full of wisdom. They usually have free candy in their pockets and they have lots of practical advice about defeating Nazis, which, is super useful these days. But America isn't the only country taking creative measures to combat coronavirus. They're also making big changes in France, AKA horny Belgium, where office culture may never be the same. Employees in France will soon be allowed to eat at their desks at work. Currently, the French labor code actually prohibits businesses from allowing employees to eat meals in areas that are dedicated to work. But the labor minister will be making the changes as part of new COVID restrictions as employees return to the office. Now, it could signal a change for a country with a very strong work-life balance, with one French woman telling the New York Times the amendment is, quote, a catastrophe. I agree. This is a catastrophe for French culture. First, they start eating at their desks, and what's next? Working at their desks? Sacre bleu! But this is kind of wild. Apparently, up until now, it had been illegal in France to eat lunch at your desk because they think if it's allowed, workers are gonna be pressured to do it instead of taking a lunch break. Not to mention, it's really hard to get fresh ground pepper out of a keyboard. 
And I'm not gonna lie, I was really surprised to learn about this rule. I mean, I would have thought that if anyone ate while they were working, it would be the French. I mean, their main pastry doubles as a phone. Hello? Megawatt, I need those documents on my desk by the end of the day. Uh-huh, uh-huh, uh-huh. Okay, magnifique. And finally, a story about some people in the Caribbean who were quarantining a little too well. This morning, three Cuban nationals are recovering after being stranded on a remote, deserted island for five weeks. The married couple and another man were found on Anguilla Key, a small island between Key West and the Bahamas. We actually discovered them waving uh, next to their um, a temporary shelter that they had built for themselves. Pictures show the shelter the three had made. With little food and water, they reportedly survived off rats and conch shells. Good Lord, people. That sounds absolutely traumatic. To be on a beach and not be able to Instagram it? Whew. That is a punishment I wish on nobody. But yeah, that's right. A married couple and another man were stranded on an island for 33 days. And the person I feel worst for is the other man. Because not only are you the third wheel, but once that rat supply dries up, you know you're the first thing on the menu. Why are you guys, why are you guys looking at me like that? Do you guys want to have like a threesome? I mean, something like that. But for real, actually being stranded on a tropical island seems way less fun than they made it seem on Gilligan's Island. I don't remember ever seeing Marianne walking around covered in rat blood. But let's move on to our top story. The second impeachment of Donald Trump, former president of the United States and current Mar-a-Lago toilet clogger. Today was day three of the trial, and we'll catch you up on all of the latest in another episode of the magical, wonderful road to impeachment. The magical, wonderful road to impeachment. Who knows where to go? It's probably presidential harassment. So today was the final day of the Democrats presenting their case against Trump. And one of the more shocking revelations of the presentation has been the never-before-seen footage of the riots, which showed us just how close some senators came to meeting the world's worst tour group. House impeachment managers used graphic new video and audio to recreate moments from the Capitol siege. And some of that footage showed just how close lawmakers and their staffers came to the pro-Trump mob that stormed the Capitol. Among the very close calls, this security video showing Senate Majority Leader Chuck Schumer being escorted by his security detail, then quickly turning around after spotting nearby rioters. Another video shows Capitol Police Officer Eugene Goodman redirecting Senator Mitt Romney away from rioters just down the hall. All right, that is terrifying. There were so many rioters in so many parts of the Capitol that these senators were just running around like they were stuck in the weekend's halftime maze. And you can understand why Mitt Romney especially would be sprinting away from this mob. I mean, these are the people who were chanting, hang Mike Pence. Mike Pence! The man who spent the last four years eye-banging the back of Trump's head. So to them, Mitt Romney is basically Mormon AOC. I mean, I don't know what Mitt would have done if he had run into them. He would have had to try and blend in with them. Let's find these traitors! It's time to kill the deep state! I heartily agree, my good friends. And afterwards, let's go to the local confectionery and enjoy some vanilla milkshakes. What? Great idea! This guy's all right! But this isn't an impeachment trial of a few thousand insane QAnon followers, no. 
This is the impeachment of Donald Trump. So once again today, the Democrats focused on how Donald Trump incited the riots. And what was really helpful was that the rioters themselves provided the evidence. Even after the attack, the insurrectionists made clear to law enforcement that they were just following President Trump's orders. They didn't shy away from their crimes because they thought they were following orders from the commander in chief. We Let's call Trump, yes! <laughs> dude, dude, let, let, let's tell Trump what's up. We're fighting for Trump. Guys, come on. Don't call Trump in the middle of the riots. You just saw him at the rally a couple hours ago. You gotta be chill. You call the morning after the insurrection. You know, you gotta play the game. Also, how embarrassing is this for Trump? Even his supporters knew they can call him anytime and he won't be busy. But overall, these videos make it pretty obvious that Trump incited the rioters. They were wearing Trump hats, carrying Trump flags, and they all just watched Trump speak, and they were chanting, fight for Trump. I mean, even that dog from Blue's Clues is like, I need a challenge here, guys. We, 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 all, we all know what this is, right? I mean, if one guy stormed the Capitol because he thought you said it to him, maybe you can just blame him. But if an entire stadium of people misunderstood you in the exact same way, I don't know, man, that shit's on you. But if there's one theme of this trial, aside from Trump being super guilty, it's Republican senators not caring that Trump is super guilty. The new evidence and the dramatic recreation of the January 6th mayhem apparently did very little to sway most, most of those Republican senators, uh, the jurors. Some of them are explicitly not listening, feet up on desks, they're reading books, they're reading uh, briefing papers on other topics. We are seeing more empty seats on the, the floor of the Senate. Our colleague, Manu Raju, was in the, the Senate chamber just a few moments ago. He counted up to 15 empty seats. While the Democrats were playing their video of rioters storming the Capitol, a handful of Republican senators, including Rick Scott, Tom Cotton, Marco Rubio, barely even looked at the screen, according to uh, reports. And Rand Paul was looking down at a paper in his lap where he had begun doodling with a pencil. Okay, I'm sorry, that is so disrespectful. Hey, Rand Paul, why don't you show us what you were doodling instead of paying attention to the present? Oh my God, it's beautiful. Oh, you, you should have been an artist, Rand. You should. These senators are a jury for a trial of the president, but instead they're acting like bored middle schoolers. What do Democrats have to do to make this interesting for them? Bring in one of those math teachers who raps everything? My name is Doug and I'm here to say democracy was threatened in a major way. A boo booch. So for many Republicans, there's nothing that could happen in this trial to change their minds. But if there's a Republican senator out there who's still struggling to ignore the evidence against Trump, well, good news. We have just the product for you. Are you a Republican senator feeling overwhelmed by overwhelming evidence? Introducing Impeach Pods, the only headphones with evidence-canceling technology, so you can ignore even the loudest chance of hang mic pens. Impeach pods also drown out that little voice in your head that's disgusted with what you've become. You've sold your soul, Josh. You're a joke. Plus, they work great in TV interviews. This election was not stolen. Do you accept that fact? 
I think we have some audio problems right there. Impeach pods. What insurrection? Order now and get a free my pillow to sleep through the rest of the trial in comfort. All right, when we come back, Jordan Klepper goes back to DC to see what happened after the Capitol riots. And Daniel Kaluuya is joining us on the show. So don't go away. Welcome back to the Daily Social Distancing Show. This is the second time that Democrats have impeached Donald Trump. And it raises the question, have they learned any lessons from the first time? Well, to find out, we sent Jordan Klepper down to Washington, D.C. for another episode of Fingers the Pulse. It's impeachment week, again. So I'm back in Washington, D.C., where our capital is a bit different from the last time I was here. It is hard to figure out how to get in towards the capital. I want to get to the capital. Can I go all the way down to Constitution? There are miles and miles of fences. Can somebody get on parlor or something to figure out how to get in there? And the thousands of screaming MAGA folks is down to two. What do you think of the impeachment? The sign says it wasn't the president who called the riots. What I saw and what there's a lot of evidence showing is that many of the initial people who entered the building violently were leftists, have Antifa. I was here, it seemed like a lot of people were Trump supporters. A thousand people broke into the Capitol, erected a noose outside and tried to kill the Speaker of the House and the Vice President. Hey, I, I literally think that you have added the tried to kill all those things and you have ignored- I gotta show you some videos. I, I, I gotta- you want to trade videos? Because I'd love to share video with I'm, you as well. I'm not going to give you my email. Yet the MAGA faithful aren't the only ones who want to go to the video. House prosecutors plan to, quote, have a fast-paced cinematic case. Raskin is aiming for a blockbuster action film this week. Yes, Impeachment 2 is bigger and louder and more cinematic than the first one. Because as we all know, when you're dealing with American audiences, stunning imagery goes farther than facts. What are you doing? Are you doing the spinning bad boy shot? No, we always do the bad boy shot, stop it. I understand the Democrats movie making angle, but how is this blockbuster approach playing with the few locals we could actually find? The first impeachment gets in the weeds, feels a little bit more like a complicated spy drama made by a foreign director. This new one? This new one I think is just so obvious, you know, it was full of drama and chaos, unfortunately murder and sedition, you know, it has all of the good plot twists of uh, a crime. I'm not excited about it because the fact that it had to happen is because something horrible happened in the first place. You're not excited for the new impeachment. Would you say you're getting too old for this shit? I am Bruce Willis too old for this shit. Definitely Danny Glover. You know, Lethal Weapon Danny Glover. I guess Bruce Willis was getting too old for the Die Hard series in and of itself. Uh, all I'm saying is somebody needs to say hasta la vista, baby. Am I right? As long as there's not a third movie, I'll be great. I hope you're right. Although we do have a villain who's never been held accountable in his life. It kind of keeps the franchise open. I think they had a good opening day with the video. And I think Jamie Raskin did a really good job of ex explaining that some people were either getting ready to just hide behind their desk or like, grab a pair of scissors and go out. It's Screenwriting 101. Make it personal, give us people to care about. Exactly. 
Where's Jordan? Where's Jordan Peele? He Jordan should be Peele a, to get up here. an impeachment manager. He's too busy making scary stuff that I only stay through half of because it's both scary and I have certain race guilt issues because of my privilege. Showing hours and hours of footage of blatant criminality seems like a sound legal tactic. So how does the 2020 lead impeachment manager, Adam Schiff, feel the sequel stacks up to the original? Ours might have been more the Ken Burns documentary. This might be more the HBO miniseries. But, uh, uh, you know, we had to try to bring to life events that were happening half a world away uh, in Ukraine. Here, you don't have to imagine uh, anything because the senators were there. Uh, the House members were there. We watched it on our television screens. Why, why do you think the impeachment is necessary? It's absolutely necessary. If he's not disqualified now, if the senators don't follow their oath, uh, and don't follow the evidence, uh, and he's acquitted again, and he decides to run again, he will put the country through hell again. Is accountability really America's thing? I mean, that's, we're better at like barbecue and wrap around sunglasses. Well, I think that the lack of priority on accountability over the last several years has been why we're in this predicament. There are critics who say Congress should go back to doing more important things, like stopping the space lasers that are causing all the wildfires. Should we be focusing on those big, important issues? Uh, this points to another huge problem, not the lasers. The wildfires. But the people who believe. The people who believe. In that kooky, crazy, uh, batshit conspiracy theory stuff. Um, they're members of Congress now. How do you convince people who are both witnesses and jurors to a crime that a crime actually occurred. The Republican Party needs to be a party of ide ideas and ideology again. At the end of the day, what this is really about is uh, can they find the courage to tell their constituents back home that what they were fed by Donald Trump was a bunch of lies. So you're banking on the courage of someone like Ted Cruz. Good <laughs> no. luck with that. If I, I was mean, going to bank on that, I would be bankrupt a long time ago. I was going to say, he won't even stand up for his wife, <sighs> let alone the country. So, so the final jury is the American people, which in like Rotten Tomatoes, it's like the critics score versus the audience score. Now, the first impeachment was great. Critics loved it. Audience was so-so on it. But maybe for this new one, the audience score pops right up and there's a conviction. Well, I'm hoping that, that the, uh, the audience score and the senator score are in alignment and they both say we never want to see the likes of Donald Trump in office again. So will impeachment two, don't rush to judgment day, move any Senate Republicans to convict Trump? As I look around our transformed capital for signs of hope, I know. No more bad boy shots, okay? I, I'm, 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 no, no. Thank you so much for that, Jordan. All right, when we come back, Daniel Kaluuya joins me on the show to talk about his brand new movie, Judas and the Black Messiah. You don't want to miss it. Welcome back to The Daily Social Distancing Show. Earlier today, I spoke with award-winning actor Daniel Kaluuya. We talked about his brand new film where he portrays Black Panther chairman Fred Hampton. I am a revolutionary. What's that there, Trevor, man? What's going on? You can kill a revolutionary, but you can't kill a revolution. Yeah. Can, I tell, can I tell you something, Daniel Kaluuya? That is my favorite. Let me tell you something, man. It's been a while since I watched a movie. Man, kudos to everyone. Kudos to yourself, kudos to Lakeith, kudos to Shaka King. This, this is, yeah, man. I, if I had the Oscars at my house, I'll just give them to you now. We don't need to go to the awards. We just take the Oscars, we give them to you now, and you go home and you do whatever you want with them. How are you doing, my dude? I'm going for it, bro. This, this press run, 
Speaking about this, no, I'm good. I'm good. I'm good. Like, you know when you you're doing something that you're proud of. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. Yeah. Everyone put everything into that. Everyone put everything into that. So I'm feeling good, man. How are you? I like your hair, man. Thank you very much, man. I'm I'm ready to join the Black Panther Party. That's what I'm ready to do right Wait, now. Bro, I can see you on the front line with that hairstyle. <laughs> I tell you, I tell you, like, feed some kids with a breakfast program right now. <laughs> oh man, this movie and and you you must be tired, man. You must be running around doing press because everybody should want to speak to you about this film, Judas and the Black Messiah. Like, look, Daniel, you've known for a long time. I'm one of your biggest fans, but there, you know there are things that you know. Even if you love Lionel Messi, there's still a goal that he'll score where you're like. How did he do that? Even if you love Ronaldo, he'll do like a kick where you're like, how did he do that? That's what I feel like you do with your acting, is I know how you act. I love how you act. Whether it's Queen and Slim, you know, whether it's Get Out, it doesn't matter what it is. But in this film, in Judas and the Black Messiah, we see a side of not just the Black Panther Party, but Fred Hampton, that I think many people wouldn't know about in American history. Tell me a little bit about the story and why Daniel Kaluuya decided, nah, I, I think I can bring this person to life in a way that a lot of people haven't seen before. Yes, um, yeah, you know, Chairman Fred, uh, he was a man of the people, you know? He was uh, in Chicago and he, he became chairman of the Illinois chapter of the Black Panther Party. And it, 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 Ryan and Zinzi Kugler actually pulled me to the side on the Black Panther reshoots and asked me to be a part of it. And when I, I just felt honored, I just felt honored to, that they, they even saw me in that way, you know? It kind of, it's something that came to me. They saw it before I saw it. And um, and uh, and then, yeah, I just read the script and I was just like, you know, there's a lot of information about how he died, but there's not a lot of information about how remarkably he lived. You right. Know? That's what it is. It's just like, wow, this this guy lived incredibly. You know what I'm saying? Right. He, he knew things on a deep, deep, deep level and not only knew them, executed them. Right. He it though the knowledge and he had original thoughts and then he he did something about it in a way that was digestible to people that were like him you know it's like there's so much that has to happen there and he was 2021 20, right for this you know it's like he was just i say he's like he's a brilliant mind and a brilliant heart so for that it was kind of like you know you see it's kind of like a way to serve something that that was that was articulating stuff that you believed but also it's that kind of like it was learning about chairman fred allowed me to grow as a man, you know? I can only imagine. So, and look at my preconceptions, look at my fears and hangups that I had and kind of grow in order to kind of occupy his words, you know? I think preconceptions is the perfect word because the stories that we've been told about so many historical figures are told by the people who oftentimes either ended their lives prematurely or didn't want them to free the people they were trying to free. I mean, Nelson Mandela was labeled as a terrorist, you know, uh, Mahatma Gandhi was persona non grata with the British. Um, Fred Hampton was no different. And what I love about this story is it doesn't show us a simplistic view of the Black Panther Party or Fred Hampton. It shows us a holistic view. In this film, though, we go, these were human beings fighting for their rights. And what I loved was how the story talks about how the Black Panther Party built a coalition of Black, White, and Hispanic to fight against oppression. Yeah, yeah, that, that, was, that was the scariest thing to the powers that be, you know, is that that Chairman Fred had the uh, the knowledge, the clarity and the ability to kind of see people from different communities and understand that they were, they were more aligned than people would think, especially people that they had conflicts with, which is like the young patriots, you know, you, there's a scene in the film where we go in there and we're greeted with the Confederate flag, right. you know, and even in conflict, Chairman Fred and the Black Panther Party found points of interest. 
you know, and then, but not in sacrifice of their love of blackness and love of the black community. Right. Because we live in a day and age, if you join with someone that isn't aligned with you, you feel like you're selling out, you're compromising yourself. Is that they, that thought wasn't even in their mind. They were, it was all to bolster the love for the community, but they saw that they, um, the, they were, they were, it was better in solidarity than in fragmentation, you know? I would love to know from your side as Daniel, how did you begin to embody Fred the way that you did? Like, what, what, what did you look for in him that helped you bring him to life in this movie? You know, it is Trevor, I kind of, I was in a space where I would watch his speeches and be aware of how I was feeling as a result of it. You know what I'm saying? And going how I was feeling moved and, 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 and that. So then I was like, oh, my goal is to occupy his spiritual space, that position. Huh. Saying, and go, I want to move the audience in the way that he is moving me at this moment. You know, and I don't really know the words for that feeling that I felt, but I knew I felt it. And I said, I, but I knew I was able to occupy it. And I was like, all right, cool. Let me just go there. Let me have that as my aspiration in terms of this. And, and that's kind of, it's kind of like, you're a vessel in those situations. In certain scenes, we're saying his actual words. I mean, you can't help but let the words tell you how to play it. Let the words tell you how to be. The voice. Talk me through the voice and how, how important that was. Because I feel like Get Out was all about the eyes. You know, you, 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 you made those eyes come alive. It felt like that was the whole story. And it felt like in this, a lot of Fred is that voice. Yeah, it was, the voice was everything um, in, in, in approaching it. So then I was, when I st started dialect work with Audrey Lacrone, amazing dialect coach, it was a real kind of real challenge. And but also another thing as well, I had to really watch my voice because I'm not um, classically trained. Well, how I arrived to acting was a very raw improv way. Yeah. I had a tendency when I did plays to kind of just go ah, and just lead with emotion, but damage my voice. And I knew on this one, I couldn't afford to. You know what I'm saying? Because you're doing 12 hour days with just doing speeches. So Audrey said, yo, you should look into a singing coach. So I found an opera singing coach. Wow. Down with an opera singing coach. And then, um, and then because I just, I love the way opera singers commanded the space. Uh -huh. Or sonically, Chairman Fred felt like that. You yeah. know, how he occupied a room. You know, he, he just occupied it. And um, and because of the amount I was doing, I needed to engage my diaphragm and condition my vocal cords for those kind of days. And so I would do gospel songs and I would do songs that felt like Chairman Fred's speeches. Then I would do the speeches. And then I was studying cadence because he had a different cadence to when he spoke to a different cadence to when he did speeches. Right, and right. So it's like identifying, defining those differences, but also feeling like the same person. Uh -huh. It's kind of like it was, it was, uh, there was a kind of, but also in it, it was for me, it was what was the speech patterns was like a clue into his thought patterns. Having spent all this time embodying the man, researching him, living in him, uh, you know, recreating that history, what do you think some of the misconceptions are that people have about Fred Hampton that you've learned about him and, 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 and maybe has changed in your mind as well since taking on this role? I, I was blessed enough that I didn't have any preconceptions about um, him, you know? And I didn't have any preconceptions about the Black Pepper Party. I just understood that other people, in order for it, you know, like the white fear dressed as hate, in order right, for it, right, it, right. it manifested as like, these people are like killing us. They're terrorists. They're like the Ku Klux Klan, you know? And it's that kind of thing where like, actually I feel like these people were like, had incredible uncompromising love for themselves. And they would, they would guard themselves with guns and they guard their community with guns because, because you're trying to kill us. You know, it's like, if you don't protect your family, 
But I say if someone, a burglar comes into your house and you don't protect your family, what are you saying about yourself? And what are you saying about how you feel about your family? You know, everyone understands that scenario. But I think the black community within America, there's a lot happening. There's these people that are occupying their spaces and oppressing these people and, and black people around the world, you know, oppressing right, black right. people. If you don't stand up for yourself, it doesn't make sense. It makes sense to protect yourself. But it's not only did they protect themselves, they loved themselves. Mm, mm. themselves, you know? And the protection was just a manifestation of a form of love, you know? One, one thing that really stood out to me in this film was realizing how people are connected around the globe without even realizing it. And, and when you watch the story of the Black Panthers, they were an international organization. They were here. You know, and they were trying to expand in the U.S., but they they, commu- they they talked to people from different places around the world and said, you share a struggle that we share and we want to do this together. How do you think that has factored into, like, how you play these roles and what you think about it? You know, when you when you look at that shared experience around the globe, because some people might be like, ah, oh, Daniel, you come from England. You, you drink tea all day and you have a, a good life. But th- sometimes there's a disconnect, and I feel like the Black Panthers understood that. They would connect with Black from other places to be like, yo, we are all Black and we're all experiencing this oppression in a, in a similar and yet different way. I think that, I think Chairman Fred especially understood it was an international struggle, you know? Mm-hmm. And you see in the first speech that he references the Mozambican Freyli Mo fires, you know? Right, right. He references the, the struggles in Angola. You know, it's like he's, it's, he under, he's connecting the dots. You know, when I was like, um, his points of references were like Yomo Kenyatta. You know, it's like, you, you and you can go on that kind of, rabbit hole and go down there and find out all the stuff that's happening there in, in, in terms of how to battle what's happening here and what um, sometimes what pitfalls to look out for, you know, right. sometimes overthrowing, actually, you're just replacing what was there with a with a black face. Do you know what mm-hmm. I'm saying? It's like, mm-hmm. it's, and it's, the issue is capitalism, you know? Yes, and, yes. And, and so it's understanding, understanding that he, he, he they saw it as a, as a bigger, as a macro point of view, you know? And they saw right. it as, like, they saw it as, this is a Western construct that's kind of, a Western virus. It's like, you know, it's like, it's like a pandemic, you know? Um, what's, what's, what's happened to black people and, and the oppression of black people from white fear and white anxiety. I hope that everyone sees the film and then I hope that everyone who's voting sees the film as well because it deserves every award, award possible. Thank you for creating it. Thank you for being here. I love seeing you again, my friend. Love, man. Appreciate you, my bro. Don't forget, people, Judas and the Black Messiah is in theaters and on HBO Max February 12th. All right, we're going to take a quick break, but we'll be right back after this. Well, that's our show for tonight. But before we go, remember, this month is Black History Month. So please consider supporting an organization called Barbershop Books. They're creating child-friendly reading spaces in barbershops and providing early literacy training to barbers all to inspire black boys and other vulnerable children to read for fun. Stay safe out there, wear a mask, and remember, if you're over 75 and haven't been vaccinated, hit me up, girl. The Daily Show with Trevor Noah, Ears Edition. Watch The Daily Show weeknights at 11, 10 Central on Comedy Central and the Comedy Central app. Watch full episodes and videos at thedailyshow.com. Follow us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram, and subscribe to The Daily Show on YouTube for exclusive content and more. This has been a Comedy Central podcast. 